Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we're just going to look at a passage of Scripture here. And um, just the theme that has been following through this year is that just shall live by faith, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And as we look at Galatians chapter 2, of course, in the churches of Galatia, if you want to know where that is, that was modern-day Turkey. Uh, they were having some difficulties there. Some of the quote-unquote uh, Jewish believers, the reason we use the word quote-unquote is because they believed more in their Jewishness than they did in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that was causing problems. They were trying to get the people in the church to uh, add to their faith a bunch of things that were Jewish traditions. Now, there's nothing wrong with traditions as long as they're good traditions. Uh, how many of you enjoy the 4th of July? That's a nice tradition. Uh, we, there's nothing absolutely wrong. How many of you like getting presents on your birthday? Uh, that's a nice tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. Some religious groups say, oh, you can't celebrate this and that. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses is one of the most prominent. That's not in the Bible. That's their tradition. And uh, yet, tradition will not get you closer to God. Only faith can. And we understand that if you're around this church at all. We teach salvation by grace through faith. We've never changed that. And by God's grace, never will change that. And so we start in verse 16 of chapter 2. It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ... Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so Paul is trying to deal with this thing here, and he says, you do not get saved by the things you do. You get saved by what Jesus has done. Could we say amen to that? How many of you are glad about that fact today? That heaven is not promised to you based on your production or your effort. Heaven is promised based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that once? I mean, that is the greatest truth in the Bible. That is the seed between the difference of all false religion versus true religion. Is the simple fact that salvation is not your work, but the work of God. And as we demonstrated in Sunday school, everything that God does, man likes to do backwards. Uh... And that's why 90% of what goes on in called religion today is about doing enough good things to be pleased with God. 
Now, please don't raise your hand, but uh, I want you to take a moment here and think about this. How many of you lived in a household with an overbearing authority that no matter how good you did, it wasn't good enough? That's a terrible place to be. The scars that are caused by that type of treatment of another human being, they, they last all your life long. Only the grace of God can break the power of those things. And yet, that's what every false religion does now, doesn't it? Some of you remember going to the Catholic Church and you were told that you had to do this and you had to do that and you had to do this and if you didn't do this, then you got, you got, you were going to uh, burn in purgatory, but if you ever turn your back on the Catholic Church, then, you know, because uh, salvation belongs to the church. I'm glad to tell you today as a Baptist preacher, as a believer in this book called the Bible, that there's only one person in all the universe that holds the power of salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. You cannot come to this church. We cannot give you salvation. In fact, the greatest work that this church will do for you, the greatest benefit you can experience is after salvation. Uh, tell you how to get saved, but God did not save you just to get started. Uh, uh, that's not the end is what I'm trying to say. That's just the beginning. God wants to do a work in your life, but if you spend your entire life trying to make sure that you're saved... You're right where the devil wants you to be. Because you'll never serve the Lord. When it talks about the armor of God, what is the first uh, one of the pieces of the armor of God? It's the helmet of salvation. You ever wonder why that is pictured as a helmet? It's because the knowledge of your eternal salvation is what God has given you to protect your mind from the tricks of the devil. How many people do you know that spend their whole life effort just trying to get or keep their salvation? If salvation could be purchased... Would it not be wise for you to take every dollar that you could possibly earn and put it toward the purchase of salvation? Even if you were a multimillionaire, you'd want to make sure, wouldn't you? If it could be obtained by doing something, accomplishing good works, then would not every part of your life have to be about doing something to better your chances of salvation? That's why I've often tried to uh, relay, and, and it's a difficult truth to, to really communicate, but the most selfish people in the world are those who are trying to earn their way to heaven because they need your problems so that they can take advantage of you to do good works so they can earn points with God. How many of you have ever thought about it that way before? You see, that's why God does salvation His way. 
and not our way. Can we say amen to that? And so, we read verse 16 here, and it says that in Galatians chapter 2, that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, but, verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Now, it's an interesting question. Now, what the author, Paul, is asking here is he is uh, certainly a man who, through the Holy Spirit of God, understood the machinations of the human mind, uh, the thought processes uh, of, of mankind. As we think about things, we, we try to make uh, things... Uh, we tr- we're always trying to add 2 plus 2 and get 5. Actually, you can do that. Uh, there's an algebraic equation that you can work. It's not real math, because real math, 2 plus 2 always equals 4. And uh, yet, man is always trying to make something more. This is the problem with Calvinism. You see... If I believe in Jesus by faith to get rid of my sin, does God need sin so I can have faith? That's the question Paul's asking. And the answer is absolutely not. What is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to judge you and me guilty. That's its only purpose. It's to show us that no matter how hard we try... We still fail. We will not, cannot pass the test. In the book of Romans, say it with me if you know it, all have what? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am so glad that verse is in there. But I've had people over the years just try to explain this and communicate this to them. Well, that would put me on the, on the same level as, as the filthiest bum on the street. Uh, yeah. It does. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Paul's going to deal with something here as we move forward here. He's going to deal with the me factor, or the I factor, we might say. And so, what he's trying to do, number one, is does God's plan make God responsible for sin? And the answer is absolutely not. That's why we reject man's reasoning. Sin is breaking God's law. There, There's a uh, problem here. Now, look at verse 18. For if I build the thing, again, the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. How many of you have ever repeated a sin in your life? Raise your hand. And you knew it was wrong when you did it. Raise your hand again. I mean, that's what we did. You know what we're doing? We're living that verse. We are condemning ourselves 
as transgressors. You know what we're actually saying if we, if we put faith in here? We're saying, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Could I challenge you? The chief cause of depression is a dishonesty when we say, God, you're wrong and I'm right. We won't, nobody that attends this church would ever utter those words. I couldn't believe, if you, if you really believe that, why would you be here? Because the only thing you're going to hear here is how right God is and how wrong you are. Amen? Uh, because that's the truth. But sometimes in our heart and mind, we will get this thing backwards. And, and Paul is saying, number one, God does not need sin to carry out his plan. Number two, if you want being convicted of something wrong, all you got to do is look at your life because you know things are wrong. I mean, we have some phrases that are just absolutely so much this verse. How many of you have ever lost your temper? You have not because you find it again. Anytime you need it, it's always there to lose, isn't it? It's worse than a bad penny, as they, they used to say. Uh, that, that thing keeps coming back. You didn't lose your temper. You just gave some to people around you. That's not a very good thing. If we use proper terminology, we might look at it a little differently than we do. I didn't lose it. I gave it away on purpose. And we, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Verse 20, 19, it says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Now, here's what God did in His incredible wisdom and His wonderful justice. You see, we have this thing called love. And you know what that means? When we spent some time a couple weeks ago, what's the world's definition of charity? Approval of things that are disapproved. That's, that's not God's definition. God's definition is living according to this book called the Bible. Amen. I convict myself as a transgressor. God has set the standard of righteousness, and we have broken it. Now, what's the penalty? Death. You see, through the law, I am dead to sin so that I can live by faith. This is what happens when a person gets saved or born again the Bible way. You know, one thing you're never going to see happening is you're never going to see all the squad cars in the New York Police Special Operations Division pull up to a funeral home to arrest a dead man. It's never going to happen. When someone loses their life perpetrating a crime, we do not have a trial to convict them. We say they are beyond the reach of the law, aren't they? 
The law cannot punish a dead man. Now, I'll tell you, there have been some instances where people have tried to punish dead men. How many of you remember um, the story of William Tyndale? They came by 70 years after he was dead and buried and dug up his bones and burned them and scattered the ashes trying to punish him because he had a great part in Wycliffe. Sorry, not Tyndale. John Wycliffe, they did that too. Get the right guy. He was a preacher of this book called The Bible. And the religionists were trying to dishonor him and disprove what he taught. Did it do any good? No, he was already in heaven with the Lord. Didn't make one bit of difference. You can't punish a dead man. Death stops all. And that's why when we break God's law, we're guilty of death. And that's why he says here, through the law, God has made a way for me to escape. How is that? It's death. Wait a minute. I'm not sure I want to go there. Well, let's read on and he's going to explain how this death works to remove us from the law. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Now, that word crucified simply means nailed to a cross, impaled on a stake, some type of attaching your body to a pole and lifting you up from the earth until you're dead. That's crucifixion. That's what it means. It's very, uh, it's a horrible way to die. The Romans weren't the ones that invented it. It's been around a very long time. But if you're crucified, you're dead. We read the story of Jesus' uh, death on the cross, how that he was nailed to the cross before 9 o'clock in the morning, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he was dead. Uh, Crucifixion didn't always work that way. Sometimes it took days for the victim to die. Romans really didn't care about that, except this was a feast day in Jerusalem, and so they broke the legs of the other men that were crucified with Jesus so that death would come very quickly, and they could clean up the mess, and and they would go on with their feast. This was the Passover week, the most joyous week of the Jewish calendar. Now, how in the world could you have fun and and enjoy all of the blessings of Passover with the crucifixion of Jesus on your mind. But the Bible tells us that he is our Passover. That God in his power and his grace, when I come to him by faith, reckons his death to be my death. Isn't that an amazing thing? You see, he suffered in my place. He took my death for me. Legally, I'm dead. To the law, 
I am now beyond the reach of the law. The law cannot judge me. The law cannot uh, um, uh, punish me in any way. The police aren't going to show up and open the coffin and put handcuffs on you. It's just not going to happen. You're dead. This is God's great wisdom. This is God's great love. And yet, at the same time, God's great sense of holiness and His perfect justice. The death of Jesus counts for mine. According to the law, I have suffered the penalty. I am beyond the reach. Now we look at the next verse here. It says, "Never." Uh, next phrase, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Okay, my body's still alive. But it's really not me, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Uh over the years, trying to explain this truth to people and many, many varied conversations, oftentimes we'll get to a point where we say, well, I just don't believe in a free ride. I just don't believe that, that all you have to do is pray a prayer and you're saved. And try to explain, wait a minute, it's not a free ride. Who died on the cross? Jesus did. What he did cost him everything. Amen? It, it was not, you could not buy one second of the suffering of Jesus Christ if you had every dollar ever aggregated by the entire history of mankind. It's not a free ride, my friend. It's amazing how these television preachers, if you're old enough to remember, we had a whole problem several years ago with preachers named Jimmy. Uh, and it wasn't only one, it was several of them. And, uh, but as soon as they got caught, it was amazing. All of a sudden they start talking about God's forgiveness. In fact, one of them had a bumper sticker. Not perfect, just forgiven. Well, he spent 15 years in jail for not being perfect. That, that's... I think that's stretching that phrase just a little bit, don't you? Wait a minute. That's not what this passage is talking about here. God does not excuse our sin. He forgives it. And with forgiveness is payment. God in His justice will not allow one sin to go unpaid for. And so the human reasoning of man is this. Oh, God, God has to have me sin so that he can save me. Therefore, God's really responsible for sin and therefore sin isn't really that big of a deal. Lie from the devil. Sin is a big deal. It sent Jesus to the cross. God did not need sin for Jesus to show his love on the cross. 
but he used his law to bring death upon us so that we could be free from the law to live for Christ. And so then we have the same people, the Calvinists come along and talk about irresistible grace. Let me ask you a question. Do Calvinists sin? Uh, They most certainly do. You see, I don't frustrate the grace of God because it's not a free ride. Jesus paid for every sin on the cross. What I am doing is I am living in the grace of God. I am living by the grace of God. I am confirming God's goodness that I don't deserve by accepting the death of Jesus Christ to be counted as mine. Therefore, the life that I have no longer belongs to me. It belongs to Jesus Christ. If I let Jesus make every decision in this past week, would my life be different? Better be careful before you nod your head up and down. Because what you're saying is, I made decisions that Jesus wouldn't have made. And that's true of all of us. But does it have to be? Should it be? That is the struggle that we get involved in. And that's why we have a transition here into chapter 3. Where Paul starts out with, Oh, foolish Galatians! Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only what I learn of you received ye the Spirit by the words of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect through the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now, Paul is upset here is an understatement. Paul, Paul is foaming at the mouth. He's pooing at his hair. He has uh, elevated the level of his voice. You know what the word foolish means? means pertaining to the things of a fool. Right? What's the biblical definition of a fool? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Can people who have been saved by Jesus Christ act foolish? Evidently, because Paul is using the word right here, talking to the Galatians. And if we'll stop and think about it, most of us have done this on occasion in our lives. You get saved by grace and you try to live by the things you do. You see, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They had a list of rules. And they thought if they kept their little list of rules, if they accomplished the things that they did... 
that God loved them. And if something happened, then they couldn't accomplish that little set of rules that God hated them. And could I challenge you, the Pharisees were wrong on both accounts. God doesn't love you because of what you can do. Nor does he hate you because of what you have done. Because God has judged all men, sinners, before him. Amen? And the only way that we can have life in Jesus Christ is through our death, is to take the death that Jesus died on the cross and allow it to be counted for us to live in and by God's grace. And the next thing that the devil comes up, this is how I like to call it, hey, Mom, look what I just did. How often is that phrase around our house? And sometimes it's something good. Sometimes it's not so good. Listen, our human heart loves us. And we like to do things for us. I've often used the example of coffee. How many of you have ever been to a Starbucks? Have you ever tried that mobile ordering thing? There is 400 options that you can put. I mean, if you, if you take each option out, I mean, you can get nine packets of Splenda in one cup of coffee if you put it there. If you can drink it, more power to you. Wow. But, but I mean, the option is there, and you can put this flavor and that flavor, and, and, uh, uh, and you know what? I do. I have a certain way. I like my coffee. It's rather complicated. It takes about five minutes to get it all punched in, but then it remembers it. So all I have to do is go, and it orders just the way I like it. You know why? Because I'm particular. So are you. We, we like things certain ways. And if we're not careful, that human nature seeps into our relationship with God and poisons our understanding of who God is to the point that Paul uses the word foolish. That you really stop believing in the God of the Bible. I know this is not a light-hearted sermon this morning. I preach very few of those. Because our time together on Sunday morning is to challenge us in our worship for God. And this is the struggle. You know what this word bewitched actually means? A nice word for it is distracted. It means our vision is totally focused on something else. Little boy, hey, Mom, look, no hands. Bam! Rides right into a pole. Has anybody ever done that? that? That's not the smartest way to do things, but here was the problem. Little Johnny was so taken over by trying to get applause and adoration from his mother 
that he put his own safety at risk. And don't we do that with God sometimes? Lord, I want you to take this day on no I read all of my Bible reading schedule today. Lord, <laughs> I did it. You know what? That makes God sick. Not that you read your Bible reading schedule. But that you think you really accomplished something by doing it. I've run into a few people all the Pastor, building won't fall down on me. I made it to church today. I want to say, I am so impressed. But that would be the flesh and not the spirit. You see, the reason why we should do the things we do is because it's not me. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's why we should do what we do. And see, what that does is then that makes my normal life behavior a faith response toward God. And what is a faith response toward God? Isn't that classified as part of our worship? Hello? Yeah, I believe it is. You mean, I'm supposed to be worshiping God when I go to work? Yeah. If the reason you go to work is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can worship God as you go to work, unless you work as a bartender or some other kind of terrible job. If you're doing an honest day's work, it ought not to be to please your boss. ought not to be just to get a paycheck. It ought to be so I can live by faith in obedience to God's Word. We say amen to that? Our life needs to be by faith. Look at 6, verse 6 of chapter 3. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 9. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 11. But that no man is justified in the law, by the law in the sight of God, it is evident... Read that last phrase with me. For the just shall live by faith. You see, that is the struggle of life. Before you're saved, you're trying to figure out some way to justify your sin and your breaking of God's laws. Once you get past that, Then, you try to take the things that you do and make yourself justified with God based upon what you do and you accomplish. This is how the devil short-circuits faith 
in our lives. How many of you remember that day when you finally stopped trying to be good enough to be saved and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and He saved you forever? Could you say amen to that? Okay. If you can't say amen to that today, in a few moments we're going to have a time of invitation where you can trust Jesus as your Savior. How many of you say, I know I'm saved. But, Pastor, I've gotten my eyes on something else. The struggles I'm going through are not by faith. They're by my effort. Let me tell you, if you can do it, you don't need faith. You don't need grace. But you do need grace. And you must have faith. Otherwise, you're not pleasing God. And we can make and order our lives in such a way that everything seems to be in line and going the way it should. But it's no more by faith than the pagan aborigine obeying the witch doctor in the jungle. Faith is always obedience to God's Word. And if I ever get my eyes on something that God has accomplished in my life through faith and start putting my thumb in my suspender straps, I've just short-circuited the whole thing now, haven't I? You see, if it's faith, it's God. He's the one that did it. That's what Paul means by, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of. By the way, where does that faith come from? Of. It belongs to Jesus Christ, not to me. But if I allow my eyes to get on something else, then I become foolish. The Bible, the word the Bible uses is bewitched, charmed. I I am no longer paying attention to what is real. I'm paying attention to something that isn't. You see, you receive the Spirit by faith. Amen? You receive grace by faith. And everything that we do to serve the Lord, we want to be by faith. So that we can stand one day with faithful Abraham. And God will say, the just shall live. By faith. You know what? That simplifies life an awful lot, doesn't it? And so I want us to end this morning just by thinking about these words, the truth that is here in this passage. There's so many more things that we could do today, but the question that I want to ask is simply this. Are you here today in this auditorium? Are you saved by faith? If you're not, When we sing the hymn of invitation, I would challenge you, would you just simply come forward, let somebody take the Bible, and help you to resolve that issue in your life. The second question is, am I living by faith? Or am I doing the best I can? Am I living by faith?
Or am I doing what I'm doing under some type of obligation trying to court someone else's favor or blessing, even God's? If you are, that's not faith. You already have God's blessings. You already have His favor. He sent Jesus to die for you on the cross. How much more favor could you want or desire from God? But He wants us to live in that faith. And all God's people said, Let's pray.